Book four, chapters one through five of Amadis of Gaul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Margaret Espayat. Amadis of Gaul by Vasco de Lobera. Translated by Robert Southey. Book four. Here beginneth the fourth book of the noble and virtuous knight Amadis of Gaul, son of King Perion and Queen Elisena, which treats of his prowess and of the great feats of arms which he and the knights of his lineage performed. Chapter 1. Of the great lamentation which Queen Sardamira made for the death of Prince Salustanquidio. You have heard in the third book of this great history how king lisuarte against the will of all his subjects great as well as little delivered up his daughter oriana to the romans and how by amadis and his companions of the firm island she was from them rescued now we will tell you what ensued when amadis had left the vessel where the princess was he went through the fleet to give orders concerning the prisoners and the spoils coming near the ship where salustanquidio lay dead he heard a great lamentation for the people and the knights of that prince were making moan over him and relating all his praises and greatness so that agrayes and they who had won the ship could neither quiet them nor remove them from the body amadis therefore ordered that they should all leave the vessel and he gave command that the body should be placed in a coffin and that such burial should be given him as befitted such a lord for albeit he was his enemy he had died like a good man in his master's service the noise of this lamentation was so great that it reached the ship wherein was oriana but so soon as Queen Sardamira heard that it was for Salustanquidio's death, forgetting all her former grief, she wrung her hands and threw herself upon the ground, and began to exclaim, O oh, generous prince, and of high lineage, the light and the mirror of the whole Roman Empire, what a grief and a calamity will it be to all who love thee, when they shall hear the tidings of thy unhappy and disastrous end and what grief wilt thou feel o emperor when thou shalt learn the death of this thy cousin who was the strong shield of thine empire and the destruction of thy fleet and the disgraceful loss of thy knights either thou must tamely submit to this loss and remain the most dishonoured prince in the world or else prepare to avenge it, putting thy state and person to great peril and doubtful issue. For by all that I have seen, since my entering Great Britain in an unhappy hour, sure am I that there is no prince or power, however great, against whom these knights would fear to wage war. Alas, my afflicted heart grieveth more for the living who will suffer in this quarrel, than for these dead whose share of the evil is past. But then Oriana and Mabilia raised her up, and comforted her the best they could. CHAPTER two, How, by the choice and command of the Princess Oriana, these knights carried her to the firm island. 
Amadis and his knights now assembled on board Florestan's vessel, and there resolved that they should forthwith make sail for the firm island, according to their own opinion and the pleasure of Oriana. They then placed all the prisoners in one ship, and appointed Gavarte of the Perilous Valley, and Landin, the nephew of Don Quadragante, with a body of knights to guard them and the spoils they placed in another ship under the care of don gandales the foster-father of amadis and sadamon who were two prudent and trusty knights their own force they divided among the other vessels in the manner that they had first embarked and then they deputed don bruneo of bonamar and angriote of estravaus to inform oriana that they were ready to obey her and to request her commands these two knights went on board her ship and kneeling before her said good lady all these knights who are here assembled at your rescue inform you that the fleet is now ready for your service and desire to know your will that they may fulfil it my true friends replied oriana I should not desire to live if I thought that it would never be in my power to requite the love ye have all shown me. But I trust in God that as I have the will, so will he one day give me the power to show my gratefulness. Say to the knights that what has been before determined should now be put in practice, that is, to go to the firm island. There we can take farther counsel and there I hope that these difficult and painful beginnings will come to a good end. When the two knights had carried back this answer to their companions, they bade all their trumpets sound, and joyfully and with loud clamors the fleet began to move on. Joyfully and courageously did these knights go their way, being of one accord, and resolved not to give over the enterprise which they had begun, till they should have well and happily concluded it, for they were all of high lineage and of great prowess, and the knowledge that their cause was just now greatly heartened them, and they even rejoiced to see themselves thus engaged against two such powerful princes, for be the issue what it would, they were sure by the contest to acquire a fair fame, and leave behind them a remembrance which should endure for ever. Certes, who so had seen them in that gallant fleet, how proudly they sailed on, so armed and with such a company, would have weened that they were the train of some great emperor, and of a truth scarcely could there be found in the household of any prince, how great soever, so goodly a company of knights, high-born, and so approved in arms. Seven days they sailed along, and then took port in the haven of the firm island, and there discharged the cannon for joy. The islanders, in alarm, seeing so great a fleet, took arms and ran to the beach, but then they knew the banners and device of Amadis their lord. Forthwith the boats were put out, and Don Gandales landed to prepare the apartments and ordered that a bridge of boats should be made from the shore, that Oriana and her ladies might by that means land. CHAPTER Three, How Gracinda, 
knowing the victory which Amadis had gained, adorned to go forth, accompanied by many knights and dames, to receive Oriana. Now, when the fair Gracinda heard of the coming of the fleet and of all that had befallen, she made ready to receive Oriana, whom of all persons in the world she most desired to see, because of her great renown that was everywhere spread abroad. She therefore wished to appear before her like a lady of such rank and such wealth as indeed she was. The robe which she put on was adorned with roses of gold, wrought with marvellous skill, and bordered with pearls and precious stones of exceeding value. This robe till now she had never worn, having reserved it to wear when she should make trial of the forbidden chamber. On her goodly hair she would wear no other adornment than the crown which the Greek knight her champion had challenged for her, and won for her from all the damsels in King Lisuarte's court. She rode a white palfrey, whose trappings were all curiously wrought with gold. In this guise had she resolved, if her good fortune was such that she should accomplish the proof of the forbidden chamber, to return to King Lisuarte's court, and there make herself known to Queen Brisena and to her daughter Oriana, and to the other princesses and damsels, and from thence to return with great glory to her own country. But the issue was far otherwise than she hoped and imagined. For fair as of a truth she was, yet was not her beauty equal to the beauty of Queen Briolania, who had attempted that adventure and failed therein. In this rich attire did that lady go forth from her apartment, and with all her dames and damsels, all richly apparelled, ten of her knights on foot led her reins, and with this array she proceeded to the shore. The bridge of boats had now been joined, it reached to the ship on board of which was Oriana, and Gracinda waited by the end of the bridge to salute her as she landed. Oriana now came out of her cabin, apparelled in a manner more beseeming decency and her present fortune than for the advancement and display of her beauty. She, seeing Gracinda, thus ornamented, awaiting her at the bridge end, inquired of Don Bruneo if that was not the dame who had come to her father's court, and won the crown from the damsels. Bruneo replied that it was the same, and bade Oriana accost and salute her honorably, according to her deserts, for she was one of the worthy dames of the world, and then he related what honors and good offices Amadis and himself and Angriote had from her received. To this Oriana answered, Reasonable it is, then, that you and your friends should love and honor her, and thus will I do. Then Don Quadragante and Agrayes each took the princess by the hand, and Don Florestan and Angriote led Queen Sardamira. Amadis alone led Mabilia. Olinda went between Don Bruneo and Dragonis, and in like manner the other damsels and knights proceeded from the vessel. When Oriana came near the end of the bridge, Gracinda alighted and knelt down and took her hand to kiss it, 
but Oriana drew it back and embraced her with much love, as one whose nature it was to be affable and nothing proud, where pride beseemed her not. But Gracinda, seeing her exceeding beauty, how far it was beyond all the praises that she had heard thereof, wondered and was greatly astonished, for she had not believed that such beauty was possible in any mortal creature, and in this wonder she remained still on her knees, though Oriana would have raised her. "'Good lady,' quoth she, "'now may I well give thanks to God that you were not in your father's court at the season of my arrival there. For had you been there, though my champion was assuredly the best in the world, a knight of little prowess would have discomfited him in your behalf, if God, as it be said, defends the right. With that she looked at Amadis. Pardon me, sir, if I wrong you in saying this, but my eyes never before beheld the like of what they now see. Amadis was full joyful to hear his lady's praise. Unreasonable would it be, he replied, if I should think ill of what you have said, or complain of so manifest a truth. But Oriana was abashed at hearing herself thus praised, and her thoughts were more upon her present fortune than her own beauty. She therefore answered, I cannot, my lady, reply to you, for should I contradict your words, that would be discourtesy to one like you, and to assent to them would be in me shame and folly. Only I would have you know, that, such as I am, I should rejoice to do aught for your honour, that is in the power of a poor, disinherited princess like me. Then she begged Agrayes to lead Gracinda to Olinda, and accompany her, leaving her with only Cuadragante. Thus having landed, they placed Oriana upon a palfrey, the most richly caparisoned that ever eyes had seen, which Queen Brisena had given her, for her entrance into Rome. Queen Sardamira also, and Gracinda, and all the other dames and damsels were mounted, nor could Oriana prevail upon the knights but that they would proceed on foot and lead the reins, for they knew that whatever honour and service they could manifest to these ladies would be to their own praise. In this order they entered the island by way of the castle, and these ladies and Oriana were conducted to the tower in the garden where Don Gandales had ordered their apartments to be made ready, that being the best dwelling in the whole island, for, albeit there were many rich dwellings, of rare workmanship, yet that tower, wherein Apolidon had wrought the enchantments, which were spoken of at length in the second part, had been his favorite place of sojourn, and for that reason he had fabricated it with such skill and such costliness that the great emperor in the world would not have ventured to attempt to make the like. In that tower were nine apartments, three on a floor, and though some part was the work of skilful artists, the rest was wrought by the skill and science of Apolidon himself so wondrously that no man in the world could rightly value nor even understand its exceeding rarity. And because it would be long to describe it all at length, 
I shall only say that the tower stood in the middle of a garden surrounded with a wall of goodly stone and mortar, and the garden was the goodliest that might be seen by reason of its trees and herbs and fountains of sweet water. Of those trees many were hung with fruit the whole year through, and others bore flowers, and round about the garden by the wall were covered walks with golden trellis-work through which might all that pleasant greenness be seen. The ground was covered with stones, some clear as the crystal, others colored like rubies and other precious stones, the which Apollidon had procured from certain islands in the east, where jewels and gold and other rare things are produced by reason of the great heat of the sun continually acting. These islands are uninhabited save only by wild beasts, and for fear of those beasts no man durst ever set foot thereon, till Apollidon by his cunning wrought such spells that it became safe to enter there, and then the neighboring people being assured of this took advantage thereof and ventured there also, and thus the world became stocked with sundry things which it had never before known. To the four sides of the tower water was brought from the neighboring mountains by metal pipes, and collected into four fountains, and the water spouted so high from the golden pillars and through the mouths of animals that it was easy to reach it from the windows of the first story, for it was caught in golden basins wrought in the pillar, and by these four fountains was the whole garden watered. In this tower, then, were the Princess Oriana and all those ladies lodged, each in her apartment, and there were they well served by dames and damsels, with all things convenient. But no knight entered the tower, nor even the garden, for so Oriana had desired that it should be, and requested the knights to let it be so, till some terms might be made with the king her father. They all esteemed her the more, and held her the more praiseworthy, saying that in that, and all things else, their desire was to obey her will. Amadis himself, although he had neither pleasure nor comfort except in her presence, was yet well pleased that she had so ordered, for far more than his own death did he fear the least stain upon her honor and he now consoled himself with the thought that she was now under his protection, and that he would rather die than lose her. The other knights and lords and all their people were lodged in the island, each according to their quality, and abundantly supplied with all things needful for their subsistence and enjoyment. For though Amadis never appeared abroad but as a poor errant knight, he had store of treasure in that island, not only from the rents and from what he had found there, but of jewels and other precious gifts which his mother and many other ladies of high rank had given him, all the which he had sent here, and, moreover, the islanders themselves, who were all rich and honorable men, held themselves fortunate to supply him with bread and meat and wines according to his need. CHAPTER Four. How Amadis assembled together all the knights, 
and the speech which he made to them, and what they determined. But Amadis, albeit he manifested the great courage which in truth he possessed, yet could he not but thoughtfully reflect upon the end of this great business, of which the charge and weight lay upon him. The princes and lords and knights of high degree were many whose lives were adventured with his upon the issue. But when others slept, he waked, thinking upon what measures he should best pursue. Therefore, with the advice of Don Quadragante and his cousin Agrayes, he summoned all the knights to council in the apartment of Quadragante, in a large hall which was one of the richest in the whole island. There being all assembled, Amadis rose, having Master Helisabad, whom he ever greatly honoured by the hand, and thus addressed them. Noble princes and knights, it is known throughout the world how ye, abandoning those delights which ye might have possessed in your own lands, have chosen rather to follow the honourable profession of arms, and encounter all dangers to gain the praise of prowess and redress wrongs, in guerdon of which worthy resolution, good fortune, hath now given into your hands this great victory which ye have at present gained. I call it not great as to the conquest of the Romans, for considering what they were, and what ye are, this conquest would be little praise, but because by that victory ye have rescued so great and excellent a princess, and saved her from the worst wrong that any one of her worth hath for many an age endured. This indeed is to your fair renown, and to the service of Almighty God, for in this have ye done that for which ye were born, succoring the oppressed and beating down the evildoers. But in this, what should most elate us is the defiance which we have thus given to two so high and powerful princes as are the Emperor of Rome and King Lisuarte, with whom, if they will not be brought to reason and justice, we must perforce have great debate and warfare. Noble sirs, what then have we to expect? Certes, nothing but that defending the right and reasonable cause against those who would support injustice, we shall gain yet more victories, such that the whole world shall ring therewith. For if they are so mighty that their power is to be feared, neither are we so destitute of great and powerful lords our friends and kinsmen, but that we could lightly so fill these plains with knights and soldiers, so that no enemies, how many soever they be, could approach within sight of the firm island. Now then, sirs, speak your counsel, not of what behoves us to do, for ye better than I know and feel what is now our duty, but in what manner we can prosecute and carry on what we have so well begun. With a right good will did they listen to that brave and courteous speech of Amadis, and because in that assembly there were so many who could well reply, all for a while remained silent, each urging the other to make answer. At length Don Quadragante said, Since ye are all silent, sirs, if it please you, I will deliver my advice. 
Agrayes answered, Sir Quadragante, we all beseech you to do so, for, considering who you are, and what great achievements you have honorably brought to end, it best becomes you of all others to make reply. Don Quadragante thanked him for this honorable praise, and then said to Amadis, Noble knight, you have spoken right well and to our full contentment. On my part I shall only say what befits our present situation. In what is past, our object has been not to gratify our own passion and enmity, but to do what we are bound to do as good knights, succoring dames and damsels who have no strength and no helpers, save only God and such as ye. My counsel is that ye represent this to King Lisuarte by fitting messengers, and require him to acknowledge his error, and do justice to his daughter Oriana, the which, if he engaged to do, and make us secure thereof, we then honorably may and ought to restore her. For ourselves we should make no terms. For if this matter can be ended, I ween he will ask peace of us, and hold himself a happy man if it be granted. Meantime, for we know not what may be the issue of this embassy, let us call upon our kinsmen and friends to assist us, that if King Lisuarte should come to seek us, he may find us not as poor errant knights, but as lords and princes, ready to give him his welcome. CHAPTER five, HOW ALL THE KNIGHTS WERE WELL CONTENTED WITH WHAT DON QUADRAGANTE PROPOSED. AT THIS REPLY OF QUADRAGANTE ALL WERE WELL PLEASED, FOR THEY THOUGHT HE HAD LEFT NOTHING TO BE SAID. IT WAS THEREFORE DETERMINED THAT AMADIS SHOULD SEND TO ADVISE KING PERION HIS FATHER OF WHAT HAD PASSED, AND REQUEST HELP, NOT ONLY FROM HIM, BUT FROM ALL HIS OTHER FRIENDS, who would be disposed to give him succor now, in acknowledgment of the great services he had with so much peril wrought them. Agrayes also, it was agreed, should send, or go to his father, the King of Scotland, for the like purpose, and Don Bruneo to the Marquis his father, and to his brother Branfil, and with speed raise all the force he could. Don Quadragante also said that he would send his nephew Landin, to the Queen of Ireland, for he was believed that, although King Sildadan, her husband, was bound with a certain number of knights to serve King Lisuarte, yet she would grant permission to her subjects to serve under him, and many good men of his friends and vassals might be expected. In like manner all the other knights prepared to exert themselves. This being determined, they appointed Agrayes and Don Florestan to inform the Princess Oriana, that she might command whatever she thought most expedient for her service. They then broke up the assembly, all in good hope and greatly encouraged, more especially they who were of low condition, and who in some degree before had feared the issue of this adventure, for they, beholding what resources were to be brought forward, lost all apprehension of the event. Now, as they were at the gate of the castle from whence they could command the sight of the whole island, they saw a knight come riding along the coast, having with him five squires who carried his arms and other accoutrements. They all stood looking whom he might be, 
till as he came nearer they knew that he was Don Brian of Monjaste. Then they were all full joyful, for well was he beloved by them all, being in truth a good knight, and one who would have been everywhere greatly esteemed for his own worth, even though he had not been son to the King Ladacine of Spain. Of all knights living, he was the one who most loved his friends, and was perpetually sporting with them, and doing them the most pleasure that might be. Wherefore, he on his own part was in return by them beloved. They, knowing him, all went out to meet him, but he, when he saw them, was greatly surprised, wondering by what chance they were all thus collected, and he alighted and went towards them with open arms, saying, I could embrace you all at once, for I regard you all as one. But when they came up to him, and he saw Amadis among them, I need not say whether or no he rejoiced to meet him, for besides their nearness of blood, Don Brian's mother being the sister of King Perion, Amadis was the knight in the world whom he loved best. "'Are you here?' quoth he, smiling. "'For I come in your quest. Though all other adventures should fail us, we should have enough to do in seeking you when you conceal yourself so well. Say what you pleased, replied Amadis, embracing him, for I have you now where I shall take my amends. The knights command you to mount again, and come into the island where there is a prison ready for such as you. With that they all crowded to embrace him, and, however loath he was, made him remount, and attended him on foot to the apartment of Amadis where he alighted. His cousins Agraes and Florestan disarmed him and brought him a scarlet mantle, but he, being thus disarmed, and seeing around him so many knights and of such prowess, said, There must be some great mystery and cause why so many good knights are thus assembled. I beseech ye, sirs, tell me the reason, for something thereof I have heard since my landing. Upon this they bade Agraes relate what had passed, and he, whose heart was in the enterprise, recounted what had been done, to the shame of King Lisuarte, greatly commending what the knights had undertaken. When Brian of Monjaste heard this, he thought it a serious thing, being himself a prudent man, and one who looked to the issue of such things as well as the beginning, and had this thing been to do, Belike he not knowing the love of Amadis and Oriana, might have dissuaded the enterprise, or at least proposed measures more moderate before so desperate a course were taken, for he knew King Lisuarte how jealous he was of his honour, and as the injury thereto was so great, great in proportion would be his efforts for vengeance. Howbeit as the thing was, his assistance rather than advice was now required and more especially as Amadis, whom he so loved, was the chief of the enterprise. He praised them for what they had done, and promised the aid of his own person, and of all that he could raise in his father's dominions. But he requested that he might see the Princess Oriana, and learn from her what was her pleasure. "'Sir cousin,' replied Amadis, "'you are just come from a long journey, and these knights have not yet taken food.' If it please you, rest now and eat. Meantime, your arrival shall be made known to the princess. 
This counsel Don Brian thought good, so the knights took their leave of him and retired each to his home. When it was evening, Agrayes and Florestan went to wait upon Oriana as they had appointed, and they took Don Brian with them. They found her with all the other princesses and ladies of her company, expecting them in the apartment of Queen Sardamira. Don Brian knelt before her, and would have kissed her hand, but she withdrew it and embraced him, and welcomed him with her accustomed courtesy. "'Sir,' quoth she, "'Don Brian, you are right welcome. Welcome, indeed, you would at any time be, for your nobleness and great virtue. But at this time, more especially, I need not tell you what doubtless you have already learnt from your friends, nor need I request you what to do, for you are more worthy to give than to receive advice. Don Brian answered, The cause of my coming, lady, hath been this. After the battle which King Lisuarte had with the seven kings of the islands, I returned to Spain to the king my father, and there was busied in his disputes with the Africans, till I heard that my cousin Amadis was gone into some foreign land no man knew whither. But then, because he was the flower and mirror of all my lineage, and the one whom I the most esteemed and loved, his loss so greatly grieved me that I determined to go in his quest, and therefore came hither to this island, thinking that here I might likeliest hear some tidings of him. So hither my good fortune guided me, not only to find him, but to arrive in a time when I may manifest some part of the great desire which I have ever felt to serve you. For, as you imagine, lady, I have heard what has happened, and knowing the inflexible condition of the king your father, something also I can guess of what is to ensue. But, come what will, my person is at your disposal to serve you." Many thanks did Oriana return to him for this his courteous speech. End of chapter 5